As we have been uh, for a number of weeks now, we're in First Peter, and we're wrapping up chapter four of First Peter, um, and um, we're coming to back to a familiar topic. And this this um, we call this series "Living in the Light of Christ." And for our comfort, and I hope for your comfort, uh, he he uh, this the Apostle Peter is very honest about both the joys of being in Christ, the glory of Christ, but also the realities of, of suffering and the life of a Christian. And so this is at least the third time that he's mentioned this. And again, like I said, this is not kind of the way Peter writes. It's not like Paul. It's not kind of separating different topics. It's just gospel truth, uh, you know, indicative. Who is Jesus? Who are we? What are we called to do? There's, there's, there's gospel. There's commands. There's warnings. There's it's all through, and and it, and it again it flows. If you read it, it's beautiful. And uh, but again, we come to a familiar topic of suffering, and how we're to think about it, and how, in particular, we're not to be surprised by it as Christians. And so I know that really gears you up. You're all excited. We're going to talk about suffering again. Uh, but, like, to say that, if I say that, it's like, I know, we're going to talk about suffering. That would just, how ignorant of me just to think that way. Because I know we're all, everybody in the room, that's, that's, a, that's a, we're all suffering in some ways. Right? Like, it's, it's not like, well, hypothetically, let's talk about suffering. Um, maybe one day you'll feel that, but you all you all have. Whether you're um, elementary school, uh, teenager, twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, up, we've we've experienced it. Uh, and, and this, in particular, this is talking about he gets into um, being suffering for for Christ's name, being persecuted, but. I think it's also just suffering in general this applies to. So, again, um, I I know we don't like to talk about it, but it's something we all need to hear. It's something we all experience. something we all struggle with. And so, again, in God's goodness and grace, He speaks and applies the gospel where we need it. And with that said, let's pray yet again and, and, uh, and read God's Word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for... Being real with us. Thank you for even saying things we don't want to hear. Um, but saying what we need to hear. Lord, thank you for inspiring, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Peter to write these words to struggling brand new Christians. As the church was forming Um, as the church was growing. Lord, thank you for writing this. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you that it's still just as applicable as it was 2,000 years ago. Um, Help us to hear again these familiar themes, familiar things. Help us to to hear what's new in this text versus the others from 1 Peter. And Lord, help us to be comforted. By you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised 
at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let, not, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Like I said before, this is not a new topic. We see in chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Paul, I mean, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 20 For what credit is it if when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure, but when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So you might be thinking, we've already, you know, he's already spoke about this. What more is there to say? We've, we've talked about how it's something we should expect, that there's going to be trials in life, that it's there for, um, to, we're tested by these things. We've also learned that, it's, that, it's, um, that God sees that and, and is aware of it. We're not alone in it. That Christ give, has given us an example uh, of how to suffer. But what, what do we learn here? Well, here's what we learn. There's three things. In our suffering, one, the first point, in our suffering, we have fellowship with Jesus. We have a deeper fellowship with Jesus. Second, in our suffering, we are made ready for glory. In our suffering, we are made ready for glory. And thirdly, in our suffering, we experience the faithfulness of God. So first, in our suffering, we have fellowship with Jesus. And um, it's interesting, why does Peter have to command us to not be surprised at the fiery or painful trial when it comes? Um, some of us like surprises, some of us don't. Some of us opened our gifts under the Christmas tree before Christmas Day. Some of us waited. But I can tell you whether you like surprises or not, no one likes this surprise. No one likes suffering. No one wants that. No one's looking for that. And if you're, but he has to tell us, do not be surprised. And so, but why? Why are we surprised by it? 
Well, maybe it's because we know, we were, as Christians, we know just how much God loves us and, and, and how, what the work He's done to save us and preserve us and, and bring us to Himself. And sometimes we go, Lord, why, what, what are you doing? Edmund Clowney writes, The more firmly Peter grounds uh, the Christian's hope, and the more eloquently he states their privilege, the more strange it must seem that they should have to suffer. And so it's not that you're not comprehending the gospel, it's that you do comprehend the goodness of God, the glory of God, the power of God, and then at the same time, there's this suffering that we endure. And the fact that the righteous suffer is a question, an enigma, that we find, you know, wrestled with throughout the Scriptures. When you think of suffering, what's the first book of the Bible you think of? Job, probably. If you've read Job, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting read. It's a, it's a weird, it's a strange book. It's a narrative. It's this, it starts out with this conversation with, between God and, and Satan, of all people. Uh, and, and here's this faithful man, Job, and Satan goes, Ah, this guy, the only reason this guy believes in you and is faithful to you because look how good his life is. And God goes, okay, well, you know, touch, take, you know, do what you will, just don't touch him. And then everything is gone and everything is removed and he loses his family, loses his livestock, he loses his, you know, his, his children and, and, and he goes, and he goes, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and he's still, he's still faithful. And then Satan says, well, of course he's still faithful because he still has his health. He still has his, he, he goes, well, you, well, have your way there, but just don't take his life. And then he's 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 afflicted with sores and and you know in, in, in a horrible way. And even his wife goes, "Why don't you uh, curse God and die?" And 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 then you see this this man who loves the Lord, who's been faithful. And this is what he said. This is just some of the things he's struggling with in Job nine nine fifteen. He goes, "Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser." He's talking about God. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. Have you ever felt that way? For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my, my life. It is all one. Therefore I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. You hear that? This faithful man struggling. Like, I, I, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done? And he's struggling. How, how is it that this has come upon me? And if you read it, then you, his friends show up. His friends tell him things that, again, trying to... So it must be something you've done. He's like, I don't know what I've done. And he's, he's, he's angry with God. And finally, the Lord shows up and speaks to him in Job 40. And the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. This is Job 46 through 9. He goes, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, Job? Can you thunder with a voice? Like his, and he goes through and how are 
showing Job, like, I'm the one who created all things. I created the, these you know, enormous beasts. I put the stars in the sky. I've done all this. Who are you to question my will and my purpose in your life? And then Job responds in Job 42. He said, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. He's not repenting of suffering. He's repenting of questioning God's purpose, questioning God's sovereignty, questioning God's will. And then we understand at the end, he is restored. The Lord restores his, his, his property, restore, gives him children. And he's gained something new. He's gained insight. He's now experienced the sovereignty, the will, the love of God. In the Psalms, we see this too, this struggle with, with suffering and why we endure it. Psalm 73, he's looking, he's, he's, the psalmist says, he says in verse 12, Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches all in vain. I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus... I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And then the lowest of the low of the psalm, Psalm 88, verse 13, he says, But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me t- together. You have because you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This idea of suffering, this struggle and wrestling with suffering is throughout the scriptures. So how do we How do we understand it? How do we not be surprised by it? Do we just, okay, it's coming. Do we just, you know, if we just isolate verse 12, it sounds like, well, you know, life's tough. You struggled yesterday, guess what? Tomorrow? Yeah. (laughs) Just kind of like fatalism, but again, that's out of context. Again, how do we know, just right there in that verse, how do we know there's something more to it? He says, beloved, those who, not just that Peter loves, but those who are, you are loved by the Lord. You are loved by God. The trials, when they come, don't be surprised. Don't be, feel as though that God is turned away from you. But how? How do we do that? Look, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. According to this passage, we realize that our, our, our suffering, our suffering finds significance in Christ's suffering. In Christ's suffering for us. 
all this that we're talking about, is, he says it needs to be understood in light that God willed for Christ to suffer. It was his will that he would suffer. He was truly righteous. You know, the, the question of how can a good person, why does a good person suffer? Why do Christians endure attacks from enemies and, 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 and uh, perse- are persecuted? Why? Well, the truly righteous one, perfectly righteous, he suffered. Not for his sins, not for anything he had done. He was perfectly righteous. He suffered for our sins. And what he's saying is, it's not just pretend that the suffering isn't happening. He's not saying act like there's no opposition. He's not saying just you know wishful thinking, be be completely uh, you know disengaged from what's really going on in life. He's not saying that, and that's often what we do, isn't it? He's saying be reminded of Christ's suffering and knowing that His suffering for us. When we remember that, when we know that, that, then that helps us to rejoice when God wills that we should suffer for Him. We're, we're, having, we're in fellowship with Christ when we experience suffering. Our suffering elsewhere in scriptures it says we're continuing we're we're filling up Christ's sufferings that we're so identified with him and again we've looked before is that when when we die with him we are raised with him we are in Christ and so it's not as though we are our sufferings atone or our sufferings can can deal or make up for sin but when we suffer for righteousness sake when we suffer in this life our sufferings draw us and, sh- and, and help us understand uh, Christ more. And our sufferings witness to the sufferings of Christ as well. Our suffering, as Edmund Clowney says, our suffering for Christ becomes a pledge to us of the reality of our belonging to Christ. Have you ever thought of it that way? Our suffering for Christ should be evidence that we belong to Him. Again, we, we get that so wrong. We think, if, I, if I'm struggling, if I'm suffering, if I'm per- being persecuted, surely I'm doing something wrong, Lord God. Help me. Help me to get back on the right track. But, but this says that, no, no, to, 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 to suffer is to be identified with Christ. And to point to, and witness to His suffering. And, and, to have, and to know Him more. So we, 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 we have joy, we rejoice because when we suffer, especially for His namesake, especially because of our being a Christians, we share in Christ's sufferings. We, we, we more identify with Christ and know the heart of Christ. Look at what, what it says the, last, the second part of verse 13. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We, we, have, we, we rejoice in our sufferings because we have fellowship with Him, but also because we know that, there, it's not, that, that suffering doesn't have the, the final word, does it? That, that, that it's not the destiny is just to suffer forever. Did Jesus suffer forever? Did Jesus, no, he, he rose again. 
He died. And then He rose again. It's at the right hand of the Father. And He says that He goes to prepare a place for us. And He says that He's coming back again. And He will bring us to that place. And that He will make the new heavens and earth new and, re- and renewed. He will renew us, body and soul. And we will be with Him forever. We rejoice that we share in His suffering. We rejoice that we have fellowship with Him in His suffering, but also we rejoice as we experience suffering, we experience persecution, as we experience anything that comes with being in this broken, fallen world, suffering that comes, that, that reminds us that, oh yes, this will not last forever. Just like Christ passed through suffering, we will too. We will too. It doesn't have the final say. The resurrection of Jesus is our resurrection. The glory of Christ is the, down, is the surety of our glory. So we're made to be like Christ. We share it. We are in fellowship with Christ. It points us to the glory. But also, look at verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are, you are blessed... Because the Spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Again, those are present tense verbs, aren't they? We can rejoice because of the glory to come, but He says, I want you to be encouraged right now in the midst of the suffering. Why? He says, because we enjoy the glory of Christ right now. In what ways? The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That, that He's not apart from you. He's not distant from you. But even in the midst of hurt, in the midst of, of agony, in the midst of the fiery trial, the Spirit is bringing the Scripture to bear. The Spirit is helping you to endure. The Spirit, God is present. He is at hand, as we talked about last week. He's right here. He's right there with us. And by the Spirit, He's blessing us. He pronounces blessing on those who suffer for His name's sake. Remember Matthew 5, verses 11 through 12. It says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But you're blessed now because you, you have the Spirit. And that Spirit is reminding you of the, of, of, the, of the glory to come. That Spirit is reminding you of the love of God right now for you. That Spirit also gives you the words to speak to answer your accusers. In Mark 13, Jesus says, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. In verse 13 he says, And you will be hated for all my, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We can rejoice in our suffering because it shows us clearly that we're walking in the steps of Jesus. That we're sharing 
in Christ's sufferings, that we're walking in, in his, after His example. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in the glory that is to come, that the suffering will not last, the persecution, the fiery trials that have the last say. And we rejoice also because we have the Spirit of glory now. He's with us. He's present. And I, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, that it's the time when you're overwhelmed and the, and the floodwaters have risen and the storm is at a height and you wonder what's going to become of me. What, how are we going to get through this? How, how am I going to endure this hardship at work or in my family or with, a, with, with these unbelievers who are persecuting me or even conflict with another brother and sister in Christ? How am I going to get through this? And that's when... The comfort of the Spirit and the reality of the Spirit's presence, it becomes more evident. In those hard times when we are really face to face with our weakness and we're desperate. And we've been praying, praying Psalm 88. Did you, you, you might hear a prayer like that and go, oh, this faithless person. Where's the Spirit in that prayer? But again, there that prayer is in the Scriptures. It's inspired by the Spirit. An honest prayer of real hurt and real anguish. The Spirit of God speaking, crying out, being honest, trusting God with the emotion, trusting God with their hurt. And, and, and even though they're struggling to believe, they believe that God is listening Why does Peter need to write verse 15? <laughs> you ever thought, is this what he thinks Christians are doing? Murdering? Thieving? No, that's, I, I don't think that's it. But I think Peter mentions murder and theft because these are the crimes that carry the death penalty. And... He's saying, look, if you die, let it not be for these crimes, but, but you might very well die because you trust in Jesus Christ. It may very well be because you refuse to renounce your Savior, that it, you not just suffer, but that you die. And we know, we know this, is, this was the fact, wasn't it? This is what happened. This is... What happened to Stephen? You can look in Acts 7 and see this Stephen, the, one of the first deacons that was called to serve the church. And he proclaimed the gospel and was stoned to death. The second generation of Christians, uh, Bishop Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, he was arrested and given opportunity to offer incense to Caesar and to curse Christ. But he's this famous words right before he was tied to the stake and killed. He says, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? There's still people that suffer and are suffering because of their commitment to Christ and Christ's commitment to them. There's... Uh, uh, interesting ministry, a wonderful ministry called Voices of the Martyrs that lets, makes these stories known and supports Christians in these hostile areas. They're, the, 
places like India, not a third world country, a, you know, a, a, a country that's, you know, it's very prosperous, but there's increasing Hindu persecution of Christians. Syria, where Islamists are violent, Islamists are persecuting Christians. Uganda, and even some places in Colombia where, where, uh, where Rick, Rick is gone. Rick goes and ministers. There, there are, quote, red zones in Colombia where there's militant groups that harass Christian villages. And there are Christians in those places living for Christ, just trying to, just all they're doing is reading their Bible or wanting to worship in their homes. And, there's, and, their, and, their, and their life is in danger or their, their life is made more complicated. And, and it's interesting to think about that. Like for, for you and for me, for in a lot of ways, Christianity makes our life better. And in the Bible Belt, a lot of us, we can be in danger of like thinking of church life and Christianity as just kind of a bit of garnish on the plate. You know? Who eats the garnish? Don't. You know, the gar- you know what I'm talking about? Just the, the little parsley by the steak. You don't have to eat that. You're like, well, I feel like I should. I paid a lot of money. But anyway, but... Sometimes we think about that, and that's and it's e- kind of an easy believism of no, 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 no. But do you realize that Jesus is the is the meat, is the is, is the potatoes, is the main essence of life? And so, for for these people that live in these areas, that live in these areas where there's, there's it costs you something to be a Christian. It's not because they're like, well, you know, I just you know they're they're not they're not dying for the garnish. They're not they're not suffering. Hunger and and being thrown out of their homes because of they want to keep the garnish. No, they, they realize that the, the 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 main point of life, the the essence of life, the most important thing in life is Jesus and Him crucified. And that and that this life, yes, dangers come and go, things come and go, but it, it means nothing in the grand scheme of things. And and so they're willing to lay down their lives for what's most precious, most what's most important, what's what truly is life. And, and that's what we're called to do. In our suffering, we... The first point, which is our longest point, I want to make that clear, is that we have fellowship with Jesus and we can rejoice because of that. Rejoice that we... It, assures, it shows us we're on the right track. It shows us we're living and following in His steps. It shows us and reminds us that, that even as we're suffering, that, that, that it's going to come to an end. That glory will come, just like as it came for Christ. Through His suffering, glory came. He experiencing it now will bring us there. And also, He is present with us. So we rejoice in our suffering. We have fellowship with, with Jesus. Also, the second thing is, in our suffering, we're made ready for glory. And that brings us to this, this strange thing. This, we see this in verse 17 and 18, being made ready for glory. He says it's time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And again, that's one of those passages, like we've, we've looked at some of those in First Peter where we're like, really? <laughs> what? The judgment is to begin with, in God's household? What, what does that mean? I thought that's the whole point of the gospel, right? It's, 
Jesus, He endured judgment for us. So we, we as this kingdom of priests, this part of His house, what, what does that mean? And the question really is, would, why would Peter call for this kind of judgment? And is this the same judgment as those who do not obey the gospel of God? And, and again, the, the, the answer is, of course, it's not. It's not the same. We learn in this text that it's, our suffering here does not destroy us, but purifies us. That when he's talking about the judgment of God, he's not talking about the fire of wrath that consumes, but the purging fire of his discipline. And for clarity, we can go to Malachi 3. Malachi 3, 1 through 3. And most of the commentators think that this is what he's pulling from. And listen to what he says, Malachi 3. And we, we preached to this a few years ago. He says, Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. A fuller is somebody who washed clothes. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. This is not a, the, the, the judgment that brings about or, or hardships that bring about the, the undoing of God's people. It's the purifying of His people. That He is going to make us fit, make us ready for glory. You think about that. You think about how, again, how, how a fire is applied, an intense flame is, in, is applied to a precious metal, and what happens, all the dross and all the impurities come to the top and they're scraped off. And they keep, they keep adding that, 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 that metal to the flame until all the impurities are gone and it's pure and refined. And again, it's still fire. You know, it still burns, it still hurts, but it doesn't, it doesn't consume. And then later in Malachi, Malachi 4, it talks about how the same, the same judgment, this coming of the Lord will, bring, will be the undoing of unbelievers, but it brings the refining of those whom are His children, His people of His covenant. So suffering is that. Suffering is, 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 is this means of drawing us to the make you know showing us the end of ourselves showing us our sin showing us our idols showing us our weakness showing but also at the same time showing the righteousness of Christ and the strength of the Lord that is immeasurable and the and the faithfulness of him who has called us This judgment begins with us. This refining begins with us. And, but then he also says, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes, this is a quote from, 
from Proverbs. Proverbs eleven thirty one. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become the ungodly and the sinner? And he doesn't mean that he doesn't mean that if you're we could read this and go, Whoa, man, if I'm just Christian, it means I might not make it. No, what it means is it's not that it's it's almost impossible. What it says is the road is difficult, is what he means. It's it's a it's it's a hard road. It's a difficult road. Again, and if you've walked with the Lord for a while, you've experienced that. You know that. You felt it. The road of the righteous is difficult, but again, what becomes the ungodly and the sinner? We've our call to worship spoke to that. Our call to worship again. You like? Is this a call to worship? It is because it, it, it talks about the vindication of God's people and God's enemies. The justice coming. But, but us being preserved and kept. And again, just like, like Job felt and like the psalmist felt, Psalm 73. But what are all these people that, that don't seem to be suffering like me? Well, these people that, that seem to have it all together, that seem to, but they don't love you, they don't trust you, they're not looking to you. Why am I? Why does it hurt for me? And he goes, I'm refining you. But know that in this life, this is as close as they'll get to glory. This is as close as the unbeliever will get to heaven. But I'm making you fit. I'm making you into the image of my son. That's what I'm doing. The road is hard. There is suffering. But it's the same road that Jesus trod and he blazed that trail for us. And here's the last thing. We see in our suffering that we have fellowship with Christ and our suffering we're being purify being made ready for glory and then also and thirdly in our suffering we experience the faithfulness of God that's verse 19 therefore let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good and here's the question I posed to the faith conversations group this morning here's the question that I think when you read that Maybe isolated, you might sense, you might think. And this might be what you're thinking right now. Why does it make sense to entrust my soul to my faithful creator when I suffer according to his will? It's interesting what this verse says. It's saying, because... God's will is done. Even our suffering, we should entrust our souls to Him. And sometimes we just go, I, I, no. You're, you're the one that's making this hard. Why? Again, it comes back to understanding suffering through, through Christ, the lens of, of Christ. It was according to the will of the Father that Christ would suffer. God didn't have His hand off the wheel when His Son was arrested and beaten and falsely accused and falsely condemned and nailed to a cross and become sin for us. It was was the Father's will. Not for His purification, but for ours.
He says that we are to entrust our souls to our faithful Creator. You know, this is the only time in the New Testament where God's referred to as Creator. As a freebie. Why? Why, why here? I think it's the same, same thing we get. Same, same picture when, when we go back to the disciples in the boat and the storm. Only the Creator can say to the, what He has made to, to, to this storm that's a rage of Peace, be still. The God who spoke the waves into existence, the God who made all things, is the one who's still in control and has power over even the storms of life. It's this, the Creator is who you're entrusting your soul to. And it, that word is to commit your soul, to trust your soul. And it's this idea of like, if you, when you go out of town, you commit your house, you know, somebody watches your house for you or, or keeps your pets for you, you're committing that to them while you're away. And, and it's that, that language of you're, you're committing it to them and you're trusting them to, 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 to preserve it and keep it. And he's saying, I want you, because you looked at Christ, you looked at His suffering, you've seen His, vindic- the vin- his, his glory, His resurrection, you, you have f- fellowship with Him, you experience the love of Christ, you're being refined. All that's, because all that's true now, you can, even in the fiercest Storm and the in the most fiery trial, he says, "You can trust that God has you. God wants to show Himself able to love you and keep you secure, no matter what." Paul says in Second Timothy one, verse twelve, "I know who I'm who I'm ha- I know whom I have believed." And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. God is faithful. You can entrust, commit your soul to him. Because even through suffering, we learn, we learn Christ. We learn his ways. We learn his love. We witness His love and His grace to others. And we are being purified, being made ready to be with Him. And He will see us all the way home. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. And we do pray that we would, You would help us in times of suffering, times of struggle, fiery trials where it's sickness or struggles with our jobs or with our families, especially when we, are, when we are suffering for your name's sake. We're suffering because we believe. And, and, and that may be a, a rare experience for us in this room, but Lord, it, we, 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 we pray that we would be ready when it comes. And we would know that you are with us. We, are know, we would know that we, that we have fellowship with you. That it's not a sign of our faithlessness or your faithlessness, but a sign that we are living for you. Refine us through whatever means you deem necessary to, to show us our sin, show us our idols, to make us wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for you. And Lord, we thank you that you're worthy of our trust. You're worthy of, 
of our of our of our love for you have first loved us and you were faithful we pray all this in Jesus name amen